she's off in the distance a little bit. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Mr. Chris Rowe and of Rowe Hunting Resources. And Chris has been doing his annual summer vocalization studies. And I, I, I guess you would call them studies, perceptions, uh, just spending time with those elk and trying to learn more about their vocalizations with each other. Um, Chris, how you doing? Doing all right, my friend. So, so I'm Mister now. Am I that old already? Is the... <laughs> well, you know, like in golf, when you reach a certain um, level, they you become like Sir Nick Faldo. I should start calling you Sir Chris Rowe. That's a good save, there, brother. That's yeah. a, that was a good save. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris, for those people that maybe haven't heard, we've done a bunch of podcast episodes over the last couple of years. Uh, and I noticed on your new website, I went on there, um, you actually have an icon listed where a bunch of our episodes are listed, not only the, the elk, uh, but the turkey um, stuff as well. Um, you know, for some of those listeners maybe that are new that haven't had a chance to go back and review some of the older episodes, you know, we're on 300 and I think this will be 315 episodes now. Um you're a, you're a, a wildlife biologist, ecologist. Can you give me a little bit of a background on yourself as far as your uh, background with uh, n- not only studying, you know, hitting the books and, you know, your official titles and what have you, but your um, experience uh, with monitoring these animals and studying these behaviors? Yeah, sure. Um, and and I, I'm I appreciate you pointing that out. You know, we, for our subscribers on the row hunting resources elk module, you know, there's and in the Turkey stuff too, you know, there was a lot of folks that wanted to be able to go back and reference those podcasts that we had done. But like you said, I mean, you've been just pounding it with the podcast. So yeah, if, if I tell people, I'll oh, go to Jay's pot, you, you got to just fish through a pile of stuff in there. So we just kind of put that little link hot link in there just to kind of help focus for those people that wanted to kind of dive into what you and I had been um, talking about, especially given, uh, last year we did that real elk sounds series. And so on, uh, on the elk module, I've got the video and the full length, uh, video for people to watch and listen to and see what the elk are doing. However, the discussion we had about those video clips was contained in those podcasts. So that's why I wanted to make sure that the folks had a like, kind of a hot link where they could go back and, you know, they could bounce back and forth between here's the video. You get to watch what the elk is doing. You get to hear what she's saying or he's saying or whatever. But then you get to bounce right back and see what or hear what you and I discuss about the situation or about the vocalizations, about the behavior and how we can use that in the field to, you know, just be a little bit more efficient or better or more consistent, whatever, you know, sure. however you want. But um, for, for those that don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm a wildlife biologist, a trained wildlife biologist, uh, and I kind of, you know, originally it was a wildlife biology with a range management and spatial, um, ba- basically remote sensing type miners uh, for satellite imagery and, you know, your t- typical Google Earth type stuff and GIS. But through my entire career, whether it was from school and beyond, I've always been fascinated by behavior and behavior and vocalizations. And when I first started out my undergraduate career, I was I had a summer job 
there was the Upper Eagle River elk study in and around the Vail area of Colorado, where my job was just to go up in the high country in the summer and either uh, interact with cows and their calves right at calving time or go up in the later part of the summer and just sit and observe cow-calf interactions all summer and record, you know, which cow has a calf, what she's doing. Well, you're spending thousands of hours just sitting watching elk. You can't help but just not only pick up on behavior, but also the vocalizations that they give off during that. And so over time, you start going, okay, wait a minute, that one seems to be consistent. That one seems to be consistent. That one seems to be consistent. And when I started taking that stuff out to the out to the woods in the fall for my hunting, my success went through the roof. So over these years, you know, as a as a biologist, as a researcher, I'm I'm very um, committed to the scientific process, and and I want to make sure that if I'm investigating something, or I just call my summer observations, or winter, or fall, or whatever. But if I'm going to be out there observing, and it's a very um, it we humans are hardwired to find associations with things, and so we see something, we hear it. And we also notice something else is going on at the same time. Physiologically, we are our brains are hardwired to make a connection. However, uh, there's an old adage that uh, correlation is not necessarily causation. Just because you saw one thing happen and something else happened at the same time, it doesn't mean one caused the other. It could be it could be just a coincidence. Well. When you're doing behavioral research, and especially when you're looking at vocalizations and stuff, and I talk about this uh, on some of my intro videos and some of the YouTube stuff that I've done, you know what? You can never, you can never prove something to be. The only thing that you can do is kind of disprove it. So when whether it's me out in the field and I hear something and it it you know stands out, or whether we're talking about conventional elk hunting wisdom, if you will, or vocalization wisdom or calling strategies or whatever. And people talk about certain calls or certain vocalizations. It's very difficult, if not impossible to go out there and say, okay, I'm going to prove that a lost mew does this, or I'm going to prove that a, you know, for me, like an assembly mew does this. But what I can do is go out there and collect as much evidence as I can and just try to destroy it. Just, just, try to pick apart and rip apart the previously held belief and see if I can. If I if I come out with video or audio that that casts doubt or destroys an idea, okay, well then obviously that first idea probably maybe may not be correct. However, if I continually go out and I just cannot cause a concept or a hypothesis to fail, well it doesn't mean it proved it to be true, but it just means that, well, it's getting stronger and stronger. And so that's why I continue to do what I do. I, every year I go out in the summer, I'm out there in the fall, I'm out there in the winter. I I want to make sure that I am tracking these animals and, and, and watching elk throughout the year because I think it, and the other thing too, is there's a lot of folks out there that spend, you know, maybe September and October out in the field and they get ideas. Well, that's great. But, you know, you've got testosterone in the mix. You've got estrogen cranking in the mix. You've got breeding urges and survival with other hunters. And, I mean, you've got all these variables and these, um, yeah, I mean, just conflicting variables that end up putting, you know, making things problematic to really tease stuff out to where if you say, okay, I'm going to go in September, I'm going to hear X, Y, and Z. 
and I think X, Y, and Z about those, well, you should be able to back up and go, okay, what does it look like in the summer? What does it look like later in the fall? Or what does it look like in the winter? Does these things still hold true? So that's, that is what I do is just try to pick this stuff apart to get the most accurate information I possibly can that I can relay to folks like you and your listeners and, and all of our subscribers. But more importantly than that, I want to capture it on video because I, I, anybody can flap their gums and, and talk at you. I want you to learn from the elk themselves. I'm going to put an elk on screen in front of you. You're going to listen to her, and then we're going to talk about it. You know, and the more times I can do that for you, the more times you get to listen to an elk, you get to practice with it, but you also get to see what is her body can what, what does her body position say? What is her you know ear position, head position, neck position, her shoulders? Is she engaging a calf or is she not? Is she engaging a bull or is she not? Is she engaging anyone? Is someone responding or are they not? And what is her reaction when that happens? If you get to watch the elk do that. When you go out into the field and you hear something and you can't see it, now you have a visual in your mind. You're like, wait a minute, I remember hearing that. And this is the situation. So because that situation, because that vocalization, I think I have a better understanding of what's going on 200, 300 yards from me. Now I know better how to approach it. And when I get there, what calling strategies I want to employ based on what I can see elk doing through the elk module. So. And that's one of the things I really like so much about the elk module, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit I have no, um, you know, monetary ties to you in any way. You're my friend. Uh, I was a, a RHR subscriber before I had you on the podcast. Um, I, I've been a fan of what you've been doing for a long, long time. Uh, but one of the things that I really like about it is the fact that it's a very organized within the elk module and you have all the different sounds then you have you know uh when the video comes up you kind of lay out what time of year what how many elk you know in the scene what kind of is going on and then you may even do some commentary about what we're about to listen to and see and then you play the video and you can actually just sit there and watch it and I like the little bullet points that come up on the screen and you, like, you know, that points out here it comes. Get ready. OK. Yeah. And, you know, as far as comprehensive resource of these different behaviors for elk, um, it, it's unparalleled. And, I, you know, it, it's interesting to me that it, as long as you've been doing this that you still are continuing to try and learn. And I was going to ask you, you know, at some point you think, oh, I got it licked. I know, you know, I know how to elk call, which you do. Uh, I know how to kill elk, which you do. I know all these elk behaviors. But with you, it's a constant, it seems as though you're constantly trying to, with your own perceptions, you know, like you said, prove or disprove or try and stack as much um, against what you already believe and see how it stacks up. Yeah. You know, how do you continue to want to just dis discover more? I th quite honestly, well, a, I mean, everybody gets a passion, and I mean, my, you know, I, I just. I love this stuff. I always have, whether it's turkey vocalizations, elk vocal. I don't care if it's prairie dog vocalizations. I mean, vocalizations, communication, and behavior, and how that causes and or 
maybe not causes animals, but how that um, influences animals and, and how that um, just relates to their daily life. And, and from a manager, because I also do wildlife management stuff, from a manager, how can I use that to my advantage? Or from a hunting standpoint, how, do, how can I use that as an advantage? So I lo- intrinsically, I've always loved it anyway. But quite honestly, I think the thing that really fuels the fire every year why I, I just love getting out and, and doing this is because every year it seems like there's something a little more or a little different or you experience something that you you just haven't experienced um, previously. You know, in, in you and I in previous podcasts, like for the, the, I just got done wrapping up this past summer's observation session. And so, you know, we, we had talked about the um, uh, estrus mu, estrus wine, estrus scream or whatever people talk about it. And, and, you know, I don't criticize people for how they use that vocalization, but my, I, you know, we had talked about I have a different opinion on what that vocalization actually means. And so you sit there, you say, okay, like for instance, the the original assumption, the original hypothesis or the belief is the estrus meal or estrus wine or estrus scream. It's a it's a sound that a cow makes when she's in estrus and she needs to breed. All right. Well, there's two aspects to that. If we if we want to really pick that apart and test it. Okay, so you're saying it has to it, – it's it's when she's in estrus, and based on what you're saying that, it's a unique vocalization. Okay, well, let's go out and test it. Can, can we go out and test this vocalization? Well, like we've talked about in years past, testing whether or not it was an estrus vocalization was probably the easiest thing to destroy right off the bat. I can show, I can show you elk doing it in the summer. I can show you elk doing it in the fall. I can show you elk doing it in the winter. I can show you elk doing it in the spring. I can show you it. I can show a cow screaming her head off with an, with a, with that, you know, estrus mu or estrus, whatever, with a bull standing behind her and the bull completely ignores her, goes, moves on, and she is in completely ignoring the bull and she goes over and finds her calf. So disproving any association with estrus was was easy right off the top. But the assumption that the vocalization was still a kind of a standalone vocalization really kind of held for a while. I mean, even on my elk, I mean, in, in, I'm you and I are are pioneering on this discussion here because I haven't even put this on the website yet. On the elk module, I talk about, and what I kind of dubbed it was more of like a selfish mew. I mean, if you listen to what elk were using that vocalization for, and and I can play one for it if you if folks want to hear it in a second, but the my interpretation and all the stuff that I ever showed or was able to find is you, know, you could kind of see it as almost like an extension of a lost mute. It was, it's a, it's a way for a, a cow to really stand out from everyone else, draw attention to herself, basically snap everybody's attention to her and demand selfishly that, you know, pay attention. I don't care what anybody else is doing. Pay attention to me. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm telling you because you would hear it and then someone would respond or whatever. And then you'd always hear that cow just take a step back and then, you know, deliver an assembly mew or maybe another lost mew or maybe some wines or whatever. But there was always other vocalizations there. This year, now last year I started kind of having some doubts. I started getting some some video footage in the summer and also in the fall of some video footage that started kind of casting some doubts on my mind of, well, is it a standalone vocalization or not? Well, goodness gracious, I, I've got, I still need to download it. I, I've got a 
video clip of a cow. I mean, she's standing 30 yards from me and I mean, just blowing the speakers out on the, the, um, camera. But I mean, she's using the, the, what I call the selfish mule or what people know it as the, the estrus mule. She's using that. Like some people use ketchup. <laughs> I mean, she's putting it on everything. I mean, lost muse, assembly muse, wines, just, I mean, she was cranking it now. So the first layer, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's something different or I can use it. My mind goes like three steps beyond and I'm like, all right. So not only is what she, what is she doing and what is she trying to, to gain from it? That's why I like doing the video and that's why, you know, you referenced some of the stuff that I put on those videos from, to establish the context. I mean, that's the, the whole point. It's, it's, it's fine that you can hear something, but what's the context? What's the context of what's going on? And, and then what is the resulting uh, outcome of that interaction? And so in this case, she was just, I, I think, I don't want to say panicked, but almost desperate to, in my mind, get a large group of elk back together. And so it was early morning. There has been a large group of elk using this big, long valley bottom and, and the open meadows in across this valley bottom. And then, you know, of course, you've got cows and calves and you've got a bunch of calves out there. Well, just like normal, um, if anybody has watched Summering Elk, you'll see that you and uh, calves will end up getting in these big groups and you'll have one or two cows kind of looking over the calves. You see you have these babysitter groups. And then the rest of the cows and the mothers, just they'll, they'll wander off maybe a few hundred yards while they feed or do whatever. Well, that's kind of what happened. We had a situation where the I'd say 80, 90% of the main group moved down valley. But yet there was probably, I'm guessing 20 or so, maybe a few more elk that were still lingering behind several hundred yards. And there was only maybe a handful of adult cows, but it was just this big ball of other calves. And this particular cow, I had seen her. She's very, very easy to identify. She's, she must've been uh, hit by a car or some, she, she has an injured front leg to where she can't put pressure on it. So it means she's very easily identifiable from her, the way she walks and hobbles. But I had the entire week, I've never seen her have a calf, but yet she's just cranking. And so all of a sudden, you know, she's looking back at the, at the adults and the calf group that's lingering way back. But then she'd turn around and look at the main group and she'd kind of start following the main group. But then she'd turn and go back towards the, the guys that are lingering. And then she'd just rip it. So the only thing I, at this point you say, okay, well, it seems fairly clear that, she is trying to keep, you know, trying to, to encourage that lingering group to, hey, dang it, hurry up, come on, we're all going this way. Um, and that just continued for, I mean, like 30, 45 minutes until finally, all of a sudden, two other adult cows came out. They started using what I talk about, the assembly mew, typical, you know, cow calling a calf to them. So they start using the assembly mew. They're looking in the same direction of that lingering group. All of a sudden, you hear some calves sound off way off in the distance. Well, those two cows just take off. They start moving that direction towards those calves. The cow that's injured that was just cranking it, she just turns around, follows them, and just starts ripping it all the way. Well, she gets to the other group, turns around. Now she's looking back at the main big group, and she's yelling at them. So I think at that point, you just look at you like, well, she's absolutely frantic to try to keep it seems that she's absolutely tried to you know frantic to try to keep this group together 
But the fact and, and how she started utilizing that particular vocalization was different than I've experienced over these past several years. And that's with hundreds of hours of observation and just hours and hours of, of video. So all of a sudden here, like you said, you, you start to get an idea of something. You think you've got something figured out. And then all of a sudden, one morning, one cow just absolutely just blows that out of the water. And you're like, I need to rethink what, you know, okay, how can we, is this a standalone vocalization? Uh, maybe not anymore. So, I don't know. I'm, for the for the elk module, guys, I, I'm going to, when I get back to the, I've got to do a little scouting for upcoming hunting season, but when I get back, I'm going to start building some of the, the videos for the elk module, and I'm going to have a conversation with our subscribers and say, you know, listen, let, let's kind of revisit this idea and, and maybe take a look at, at what other alternatives it could be, but by the same token, okay, how can we use this new information in the field for ourselves this fall? Because I, I took that concept, you know, the, the estrus mu or the, what I call the selfish mu idea and used it. Uh, part of the this in the website, you've got the strategies in action where I take this stuff and actually go out in the field, video it with elk, boom, call the elk in. Well, I used that to call in uh, a couple cows and a really nice bull. But I think now, based on what I'm hearing with this cow, if, if this continues, it really opens the door on other ways that we can use it for aggressive cow calling that we might not have been able, we might not have thought we could have explored before. So, Do you think in a way, you know, um, our mutual friend, Will Primos, you and I are both friends with Will, is yeah. a marketing genius, obviously started Primos <laughs> hunting calls. Um, you know, he, he's kind of the one that, you know, came up with this estrus, estrus, uh, um, I, well, I take, a, take a step back. I, I think you, I think it was Steve Chappell. Well, Steve, Steve yeah, identified I mean, it and Will's one, I think coined it maybe. I don't, I don't know, but Steve is the one that kind of brought it to Will and was like, dude, this is something we need to, we need to. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when Steve and I were partners in the guide business for like 10 years, I remember that he got a clip in Unit 3C, I believe, of a cow um, making a real estrus wine, a real, um, well, there I just said it, a real sound that we were like, what is that? Well, Steve concluded, and it's an awesome video clip, that cow proceeded to have, I think, six or eight bulls come from all directions two bulls fought right in front of them and basically the cow was just standing there and all the bulls were you know nosing around her and what have you and so he sent that video clip to will primos and i think will primos being the genius that he is um you, you know from marketing started calling it the, the estrus well he was calling it the chapel scream the estrus scream um you know the estrus call I forget all the different names, but in essence, they started making elk calls, um, you know, trying to mimic that sound from a marketing standpoint. You know, it was genius because who doesn't when, you know, they're they're out, you know, hunting, which is a lot of times in September during the rut. Who doesn't want to make the quote unquote mating sound or estrus sound? Exactly. So, you know, and and Steve even took it a, a step further he he started figuring out how to make that um you know estrus type call or what they were calling the estrus call uh with his diaphragm and you know i i had been doing that buzzing sound kind of getting that that buzz i think you had been doing it um 
not as a quote estrus call but i've heard a lot of elk doing that and so you kind of get that buzz going steve kind of took it to a whole nother level and figured out how to you know purge his lips in a way to really make that that sound and it just boom it just took off you know like wildfire um across the elk um i i guess spectrum and you know i give credit to primos for you know marketing and what have you will is obviously a a genius of marketing and it's proven it over and over and over but in in a way without with all due respect to uh steve and will uh and do you feel like in an essence it maybe set it, it created a setback in um overall elk hunters trying to understand and you know learn how to be a better caller not in the fact that that call doesn't work because we all know that that call at times works great but do you think from a sense of um trying to understand exactly what that sound is and just like you said you've heard that sound and been able to document that sound you know all four seasons it pretty much right there stacks a bunch of evidence that it's not truly a mating or you know estrus call um do you think it 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 created a setback uh for people trying to learn or do you think a lot of the general public they just want to make a call that sounds good and elk come to them and after that they really don't you know they're they really don't pay attention yeah well and and there you go i think you know it depends on the the motivations and the value set of the of the elk caller themselves there you know there, there are my what i put put together is not for everybody because there's a lot of guys and gals out there they're like i don't care if i know what i'm saying i just want to you know sound good and and go out there and kill stuff okay that's fine and so for some of those folks they didn't care they didn't care what it means they didn't care Matt. they don't they don't care if it has anything to do with a with estrus or not all they care about is this sound in september I can use this and, you know, it can work or, or the, you know, or the, you know, what the marketing is always that, you know, the bulls come running just like, you know, Steve's clip showed. But the thing I think there are other folks like me that just, you know, it's not, I am never satisfied with people just telling me, Hey, Chris, go do this. And I just, I, the first thing that comes out of my mouth is okay. Why? You know, I, I just always have that passion of, understanding why and so for those other hunters those other callers out there that hear something or uh whether that's an elk or whether they hear someone else telling them about some tactic or strategy or call or vocalization or what have you there are a lot of folks out there that are like me they go okay why and and they just have this just innate need to understand for those folks i think it may have because again for years this was like oh it's an estrus call it's a mating call I've had people repeatedly ask me on the forums and, and emails. Whatever. Okay, well that's fine, Chris, but I don't have I don't have a bull tag. I have a cow tag. So what what other? So they completely dismiss the applicability of that vocalization because they think, well, I'm I don't have a bull tag, and because this is a mating call, it only deals with bulls, and so I have a cow tag. So I will dismiss this vocalization as a tool in my toolbox. What else can I do? I'm like, no, 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 no. I think in most regards that that vocalization can be used incredibly well on cows, especially early season. 
or later on in the in, you know late you know cow seasons again, especially when you mix them in with lost muse and, and lost calf sounds and, and appeal to that maternal instinct. So having it misnamed, in my opinion, I think more it has limited the effective use of that call by so many people across a wide variety of seasons. Whether we're talking about the guys that go out there in Utah and hunt opening weekend of Utah archery, or we're talking about someone that's going late November on a late season cow, cow hunt, that vocalization still has applicability and you can use it very, very effectively. So yeah, I think it, it but it all depends on the individual that's listening and, and what they value. Cause I mean, even, even to this day, I mean, the entire thing about the, the elk module is, you know, understanding why and how to use that information and, and put it to use. I still, I still have subscribers that every now and then it'd be like, all right, uh, man, there's, you know, cause we've got like 20 some 25 plus hours or something like that, a video on there now, but you know, there's some people that get overwhelmed and like, all right, I don't, I don't need to know all that stuff. Just, just tell me what I need to do. Okay. Well, I, I can tell you what I would do, but that is kind of missing the point of, of what we do and what we teach at, at the, at the elk module. Cause I want people to have that understanding because if you are faced with a situation in the field and it starts out one way and then all of a sudden something changes if you don't know what to do and more importantly why you are doing it you are going to be limited on your ability to change with the situation as it changes you're just going to be kind of stuck by understanding why it all it just like this like this one vocalization if you understand why they're doing it and what they're saying all of a sudden now you're like wait a minute i can use this in all sorts of situations and it just opens the door to having a lot more success or at least consistency consistency in getting elk to either respond or come your way obviously you can't do anything about the wind or whatever but i don't know i think it i think it limited it a little bit if you are that type of person that values that type of stuff isn't it in essence like going down to a fly shop and say hey what are they biting on and some guy behind the counter says oh they're eating you know um green drake emergers or they're eating you know pmd emergers uh or they're they're hammering dries and this is probably a better example they're hammering dries well what are they eating well they're eating caddis and they're eating uh pmds dries so you go down to the river and you go at you know six in the morning and you get your caddis dries and your pmd dries and you're out there just flogging the water and you're not catching a fish you come back into the shop and you're like you told me that you know you told me that they were hitting the caddis dries and the pmd dries and the guy says well yeah they're killing them and the guy says well i just went down there this morning at six o'clock and i didn't catch a fish for two hours so now i'm back here saying you know i thought i asked you what they're biting on in essence you're saying or you have people say, just tell me what to do or just tell me what strategy to use or what call to use. And yep. what you're saying is it's a little more in-depth than just make this sound and that, you know, stuff's going to come running. Exactly. I mean, it, and there are some. I mean, it depends on where you're hunting. I mean, there's, there's plenty of people that have success every year just going out there and making elk sounds. Absolutely. I do not, I do not deny that. However... There are a pile of people out there that go out, especially over-the-counter units and, and where you're dealing with other hunters, where you go out there and you're like, goodness, freaking gracious. 
you know, I, you know, I, I do my normal calling and it's not working or it used to work over here, but you know, over the past couple of years now it's not working as effectively. Or there's some people who are like, well, I used to use bugles a lot and it worked, but now I'm not, now it doesn't seem to work. Well, okay. Or cow calls, vice, vice versa. But okay. But if you understand what and why, well, okay, now you can understand, well, maybe the reason why they're not responding the same way as they did, you know, two years ago is because two years ago or three or four years ago or whatever, the weeks, the, the season started a week later. Now yeah. we're starting a week earlier. Okay. You're, you're engaging a completely different behavior cycle. Maybe your unit has seen a major shift in the bull to cow ratio. So now the, the interspecific or interspecific competition between the bulls and bulls or the, the interplay between the bulls and the cows is completely different because the bull to cow ratio dynamic is different. If you don't know that, then you don't understand, wait, okay, maybe this is why my cow calls aren't working. Maybe I do need to shoot, you know, switch to bugles, or maybe my bugles aren't working, or maybe it's because there's 18 other guys in the valley all blowing bugles. Okay, maybe the elk have learned, and now I need to switch over and try a different tactic. If you understand how things change and why, it allows you to change with them. Yeah, it's great stuff. Um well, do you mind um, playing us a little bit of the clip uh, that you're going to have on the elk module, and let, let's let's hear the sound she was making. And and back to my point earlier, or my question earlier was, you know, do you think there was a setback when they coined this 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 vocalization, you know, estrus? I, I think more than anything, maybe it confused people. That, exactly, um, but I mean, it sold a lot of calls, and you know, I, my hats off to, you know, Will and Steve both for one gathering the footage and making observations. Because quite frankly, uh, it's great that that people are trying to make observations. And I think you would be the first to admit that even all the stuff on the elk module and everything you say, you're not saying that you couldn't gather a bunch more data and be prove you prove yourself that hey, maybe I was wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I'm respectfully just pointing out that, you know, maybe it just confused a lot of people. Um, but there's more to it than just an estrus call for dang sure. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I don't credit, you know, Steve and I, I count Steve as a friend and, and I truly enjoy, I mean, the guy is, the guy's a phenomenal caller and I, and I learn stuff from him every time I sit and talk with him. So, um, and I don't mind people saying, you know, it's an estrus. That's fine. If you if you want to, it's, it's so ingrained in the elk hunting culture now that I don't think you're going to change that vocalization's title. It just uh, for at this point now, I just want people to understand that it, it doesn't have, you know, you, you're not you doesn't necessarily have anything to do with breeding, and it has a huge amount of flexibility in different scenarios on how to use it. And again, this year especially this one cow, it just completely blows me out of the water saying, okay, maybe we, maybe I, maybe I was limiting myself on my interpretation on when I was going to use it. And maybe I can use it in these other scenarios. So, well, and, and, and don't you think as well, it is very important to be able to categorize sounds so that when you're trying to help people and instruct people and what have you, that, that whatever you call it, whatever you call it or somebody else calls it, 
if we're talking about the same sounds, even if it has three different names, yeah. as long as people understand what you're trying to say is all of these different sounds can be used at different times to mean different things and mean the same thing. And that the more understanding that you can get from those sounds to the behavior, the better elk caller you're going to be. The better elk caller you're going to be means the better probably success and better elk hunter and you know meat in the pot and you know antlers on the wall you're you know you're gonna have more success yeah i i i do i i mean like i said as soon as i started using way back when i mean late you know late 90s when when i started well shoot yeah mid 90s when i started doing this that's that's what got me i mean that's what lit my fire is i heard this stuff in the summer i went out there and i used it in the fall and all of a sudden holy i'm over the counter areas holy smokes i'm getting elk boom 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 wait a minute yeah it it's pretty rewarding and it, and it makes you stinking downright happy when you you know go on a elk hunt and you have encounters rather than you wander around and you blow on calls all week and and just you you may come across some elk droppings a time or two you know so yeah, no, I. In other words, you're in the game. As soon as you really got a grasp and understanding the different vocalizations and and how they relate to the behavior of the elk, you you started becoming in the game rather than just watching the game. You were actually in the game, and don't you think that's a huge part of being successful? Is you know being in the game. Oh, for for me it is, but again, everybody's different. But my value set. Oh my gosh, yes. I, I want to be in, and I, I talk all the time about you, you really can't, you, you'll never make an elk do anything, maybe except run. You know, you can, you can spook them. You can yeah, make them. I can, them I can do that well. Yes. <laughs> so, but, but all you can do is really try to encourage, you know, suggest to them what they ought to do or, or what should be done at that time. And, and hopefully to sucker them. I, I, I just had this conversation with uh, someone the other day. You know, there are some people, um, and, and I, and, if I'm speaking out of, of turn on it, I, I apologize to Dan, but you know, Dan Evans trophy taker. I mean, that guy has killed some absolute incredible giants. I mean, every year he's just whacking and stacking giant bulls. And I think if I remember correctly, a lot of times he, he doesn't call, he listens to the bulls bugling. He figures out where they are. He still hunts and slips his way in, gets himself staged. And then he, as soon as he gets a, a shot opportunity on that bull, he snipers. I mean, he's a great shot with a bow and I mean, he just takes him out and it's awesome. And, and I am, I would be a liar if I didn't say I was jealous of his success. I look at his trophy room and I'm like, man, would I love a trophy room like that. However, I can tell you right now, if two bulls are are standing in front of me, and are, are are you know a couple hundred yards out in front of me, I've got one on my left and one on my right, and one's bugling his head off, and one maybe it doesn't matter what he, what they're doing vocalizing. If that animal, if if I could stalk in on that animal and sniper him without saying a word, versus. I call to that, and I'm going to call to him every time. I don't care if I can sneak in and sniper him without saying a word. I, even if I had a good approach, I probably still would set up and call because I love – that is the part that I, I love the game. I love that chess match of can I, quote-unquote, I you know figuratively make can, – can I cause that bull to stop what he's doing and do what I want him to do? Can I, can I affect that bull's behavior and – have him come to me point blank. 
can I, can I, yeah, I said, uh, that's kind of our little tagline, call him to your toes. Can I put this bull in my literal lap? You know, the past three bulls I've killed were like a 13 yards or whatever. Okay. That, that is, that is what gets me going. That is, oh yeah. So for me, this is why this stuff that I talk about this stuff, if you want to go out there and locate animals, fine, do it. it it'll work. But if you want to take it to the nth degree and, and just, you know, bake their noodle and just get those animals to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it. Oh my gosh, is it so much fun. And it is more enriching. I mean, you, you have a better understanding of what's going on. And so everybody that I've talked to that, that goes out in the field after, you know, going through the elk module is like, holy mo It's just, it is refreshing to understand, okay, I heard this, then they did that. Now I understand why. And I don't feel bad about it. You know, I'm not frustrated about it. I'm not angry about it. I, oh, okay. Well, the bull grabbed his cows and they moved off here and she was doing this and she was fine. Okay, fine. Now I know what to do about it. And it just, it, uh, it allows for a little bit deeper uh, appreciation of what you hear and see out there. And I think I know the answer to this question, but you welcome someone disagreeing and saying, you oh, know, yeah. I don't interpret it this way. This is how I interpret it. You welcome that. Absolutely. Because maybe they've seen something that I have not yet seen, and it just oh, okay. So all right, I'll take what you just what you just gave me. Now, if you're just going to tell me, okay, that's one level. But if you're going to show, and I have, I've had people say, well, what about this? And they show me a video clip, and it's like, okay, well, now let's dive into this baby because I want to know, okay, what's the context? What's going on here? Because that is a little bit different than what I've heard or what I've seen or what blah 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 blah. You know, it, I. I Jeez, you know, Pete, we could we could go down rab multiple rabbit holes. I mean, cow bugles, I, and I can show you if you want. I'll play that one. I mean, cow bugles. People ask all the time, you know, what cow bugles actually mean. Well, it's kind of hard, but I think I've got to, you know, start to move towards an idea of what they may be using them for. You know, people talk about, you know, the bull calling cows bugle or whatever. That's gotten really popular these days. Well, I can tell you, you know, I can go in and, and we can look at video and I can say, okay, well, here it is in this situation. Here it is in this situation. Here it is in this situation. But all three situations are different and some of them have cows and some don't and some, you know, okay, let's pick these things apart. I'm not going to, you know, I, I want, I want that intellectual interaction to say, okay, well, how do we pick these ideas and concepts apart and be better, be wiser, be smarter about the whole thing to where it allows us to be more successful on each effort. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I'm curious to hear the uh, sounds, um, and I know you'll have a much uh, uh, f more full, uh, I guess, um, audio clip or audio video clip on, on the elk module, but uh, yeah. play us a couple of these encounters that you had, and, and let's talk about it. It, and I'll, I'll do this one. So for those that are, don't, aren't familiar with the, the vocalization, this, again, this is just a raw clip. I haven't even edited and, you know, done much with it. Um, I'll just play it and you can hear it. Calf mew. There we go. It'll get louder here in a second. But basically what you got a situation, you've got a cow traveling with a calf, but the calf is not hers. And so she's looking for her calf.
here that the the point of clarification on that is that you know you, we all hear that loss me. I mean, you got a basic loss me uh, characteristic there: high, long, long drawn out high note, very short on the low note. Just looking for a response, looking for. And her, you, if you watch the video, yeah, her heads up, ears are forward. She's seeking, but the the point of clarification on the difference of that vocalization is that meow, that rasp, that growl that you hear to it. She takes off running. She's searching for a little one. So, yeah, this cow just takes off down the whole the valley. I mean, you can hear off, and it's hard to hear. I've got to play with the gain and that type of stuff, but it's hard to hear the calf in the distance. But you can hear a single calf responding in the distance, and she just takes off running for but no the other one we were i was joking with you about I'll tell you about this she was awesome here's here's another one that you, you the more time you spend with these animals i, I just i don't know the more fascinating i get she's awesome perfect example of assembling you and a wine but she does a little of everything but people want to hear a cow bugle this is an awesome one All right, now hey, let me hit pause. The same thing. Here's the exact same situation. Again, we had a, a the big group of elk were moving down valley. We have the stragglers several hundred yards behind, but the cows that are with the calves that are hanging back may actually not be the mothers of those any of those calves. And so here she is traveling with a calf. And first glance, you're like, oh, a cow and a calf. Yeah, it's a cow and a calf. It's not her calf. And so she just blows right by this little guy. She's again, she's looking for her calf and she's trying to catch up with the rest of the group. <laughs> she just rips it. So I mean, she, I mean, all these little things. You start again. You start putting things together. Got a couple more. Perfect assembly mew. You can hear the calves in the distance. And now she's, you know, the calves are starting. Another assembly mew, perfect one. But so she's moving towards them. She's calling, saying, hey, come to me. Come on out. Come on. You know, show where are you? Come on out. I'm calling you. The calves get up. They start responding, and the, the calves start coming. And so they just finally, eventually meet up and and. As soon as they meet up, it's dead silent. It's done. The vocalizations are done. It, it, they accomplished what they wanted to do. She was looking for the calf. The calf responded. She said, hey, I want you to come to me. It's time to nurse. The calf is like, okay. And so over the course of a couple hundred yards, they grouped back up. And as soon as that was done, done. They don't need to vocalize anymore. So Now, would you say a year ago that you thought that was more of a selfish mew? Well, that's what I, that's kind of what I coined it only because, and again, it wasn't trying to, um, you know, just be unique on my own. It was just, okay, it's not an asterisk mew. So what else is it? So if you looked at the connotation that it's, that it's kind of delivered in, it is a cow that is trying to stand out from everybody else, basically be so aggressive, be so, um, loud and, and stand out to where she's drawing all the attention to her 
and making everybody take notice. And I mean, and you can see that when when these cows start doing that, you'll watch. Now the calves a lot of times will start lighting up and they'll start responding, but also a lot of the adult cows will stop what they're doing, pick up their head, look, and they'll they'll okay, what's go? Who is it? What's going on? What do they want? Oh, okay, never mind. And then they'll either go back to doing what they're doing, or you'll get some cows that go, oh, okay, and they'll start calling back and they'll start moving off in the direction that that cow is vocalizing. So it really, that's the only thing that I could think of is like, well, it's more of a selfish, you know, I don't care what she's doing. I don't care what those guys are doing. I want you to pay attention to me because a lot of times you will hear this in a situation where there's a lot of vocalizations going on. If there's, say you got a couple hundred cows and calves and they're all talking, well, one more mew in the whole mix of things is not going to stand out. You can even bump up to a lost mew, and that's fine. If it, the bulk of vocalizations going on in the area are lost mews and other cows calling, well, then at some point you need to do something to stand out and, and selfishly kind of get all the intent, uh, attention directed to you. And so that's kind of why I called it that. But again, I always, you know, up until last year, I always thought, well, it's kind of a standalone and it's used for this XYZ purpose. Well, you know, last year it started going, well, maybe it's more, nothing more than extension of a, of a loss mew. Now this year, and I, again, I, I'm, I apologize. I don't have that clip off of my camera yet, but now, I mean, you've got a cow that she's just peppering it on everything. So it really opens it to my eyes and saying, okay, maybe I can expand. I talk about a targeted strategy, you know, in the strategy app on the little mobile app or in the, um, elk module i talk about i always you know whether it's bull vocalizations or cow vocalizations i kind of separate things into a passive targeted or an aggressive strategy depending on what i want to do targeted strategy you're using more lost muse assembly muse and you're, you're speaking directly to other animals telling them what you want out of them well now i think with this and you know what i'm learning from this last year and nate especially now this year i'm thinking man we've got some we've got some opportunities to really expand on how aggressive we can get even within the targeted strategy. And then especially when we get into a more aggressive cow calling strategy. So pretty awesome stuff. I want to take just a second here, Chris, um, uh, uh, just take a quick break. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com insider Lorenzo Sartini and his crew for creating such a great resource for Western hunters. Uh, also want to encourage you if you want to sign up for the insider you can use the j scott promo code that's going to get it, get you a 50 dollar uh, 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 gohunt.com gift store uh, store credit and uh, you automatically are going to get uh, that 50 dollar store credit and you can use that for uh, uh, field tested hand-picked gear that they are selling on the gohunt.com site and what they wanted to do is basically get a lot of the gear that is uh, necessary for a lot of these western big game hunts and house it all on one site i want to thank them for their sponsorship i also want to thank kuyu ultralight hunting uh, jason harrison and his crew and uh, want to remind you guys to go out and find uh, the uh, kuyu mobile showroom and find out what cities uh, it's going to be in and the it's been overwhelming the response of the kuyu mobile showroom also phonescope.com cheston davis uh, they were able to figure out how to adapt any uh, spotting scope or optic to any phone and 
uh, can help people take photos and videos immediately. If you use the JSCOT16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, and then the outdoorsmans.com. 1-800-291-8065. Cody Nelson and his group, uh, the Optics Authority, if you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there at the Outdoorsman's. And I bring that up because uh, the the reason my podcast is able to exist and, and the reason that I'm able to spend as much time as I do with it is because they're uh, very loyal sponsors and uh, I appreciate their support as well as all the listeners out there. Chris, um, you, you know, you, you play these sounds, you know, it seems like it's an ever-evolving uh, situation where you're reevaluating what you previously thought and you're coming up with new, you know, maybe hypothesis, you're coming up with new conclusions. Uh, you know, it's, it's a revolving deal, but I would say that, you know, that sound you just played, whether it's a selfish mew, whether you consider it an estrus mew, which we can already say that, you know, that, that would be a sound that they would be, people would be saying is an estrus, but it's not. That's in the middle of the summer, and you've already said you get the same sound. Um, but wouldn't you say that if you had that very, um, you know, excited, uh, you, you talked about sounds, and if you just made a normal lost mew or an assembly mew, it's not going to stand out. But that cow is going to stand out. Would you Would you agree that if you were to play that exact sound in a scenario during the rut when there's chaos going on and bulls bugling, that you would have a pretty good chance that a bull, maybe not the bull that you're after, but a bull is going to come and check you out because you're standing out and it's almost like you're you're insisting that cow is insisting that she wants someone to come to her and she's agitated. Would you agree that that sound, whatever you know we call it, or anybody calls it, that, that that has a good chance to have a bull come to that cow. Absolutely, no, with, without a without a question. That's I, I. That's the thing is I've never criticized the application of that vocalization in a calling scenario when you're dealing with with bulls. It's, but here's again, if if we understand what it's what it's saying and, and why, let's take that a step further. Sure. If you've got a herd bull with cows and there's satellite bulls, I can almost guarantee you, you start cranking that and some, one of those satellite bulls is going to come running over you. Okay. Now, the other flip side is you're like, okay, well, I want to call that herd bull. And if I do that, then maybe, you know, I get on the edge of those cows and I start cranking. You know, maybe he's going to come over and swing around and check me out and figure out what's going on and give me a shot. Absolutely, that could happen. But here's the beautiful thing about it. Because it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't have anything to do with estrus. Because you're not necessarily talking to a bull, you can do exactly what I did last year, last uh, last fall, and I posted the video. That's the newest strategies in action video on the on the elk module. This bull was locked down with cows. He was not moving, and literally, it was a cow and a calf. He would, I mean, barely would respond. I mean, every now and then he bugle. That's how I mean I found him because I heard him bugle up on the ridge. Started moving that way. And I started out just a normal targeted strategy. I'm like, all right, we'll just set up and call him in. Well, 
He wouldn't budge. He wouldn't say anything. He didn't do anything until I started getting cranked up and started using the selfish mule. But it wasn't the bull that came in. I called the cow. To The cow and the calf came smoking down the ridge, come running in to, I don't know, point blank, right straight in front of me. They came smoking in trying to figure out who I was and what was going on. They are the one that respond. Well, guess what? The bull's going to follow. It doesn't matter if the bull responds to me. If I can call the cows to me and get the entire group of cows coming my way, I can sucker a herd bull right in front of me. And that's what happened with him. So people don't need to get caught up on it. Well, it's, it, you know, it's an estrus mew, so I'm, I'm calling to the bull. No, you're calling to – you can direct it at the bull if you want and, and based on how you know he responds and you do it back – Based on how you engage that vocalization with whoever else is, is vocalizing, you can kind of direct that vocalization to someone, but it doesn't necessarily pertain to just a bull. It's it's a it's a vocalization used when cows are they they are demanding or they're selfishly trying to get that attention to them, and so I just kept cranking it, and finally the cows are like, "What in the world is going on?" Wait, okay, fine, here we come, and I mean they came at a run down the hill. Seven, ten yards in front of me, bull walked 13, whatever steps, right? Just walked right by me, offered me a great shot if I'd wanted to shoot him. So that's the beautiful part about it. Yes, it will definitely work on calling bulls, absolutely. But you can darn sure use it to call cows that are with a bull. And that might sometimes be just what you need to sucker that herd bull into your setup. Good stuff. Really good stuff. Chris? Let's shift gears just a little bit here. Um, after our last podcast, I had a question uh, come in uh, from a listener, and um, I'll read the question. Let's see. It says, hey, Jay, can you discuss on an episode what calling strategies you would use, if any, during early archery elk hunting in Colorado, 826 to 94? Love the podcast. I would say, you know, let's talk about, yes, he's talking about hunting Colorado, but I think you could assume that, you know, anybody hunting early season and maybe talk a little bit about what kind of calling strategies that you would use, Chris, uh, in the situation. I'm sure it's a question that you get all the time. I'm sure it's something you've answered a lot. Um, So what are your thoughts when someone says, you know, it looks like this guy's dates are going to be the... Uh, 26th through the the fourth. Um, you know, I guess first of all, what do you what would you anticipate? He's hunting Colorado. In your experience, what would you anticipate the vocal level of elk? And you know, it probably depends, but kind of walk us through your experience of maybe what you're expecting, and then what your strategies would be based on different scenarios. Yeah, well, he's going to, I mean, I'll be right out there with him. Same thing. I mean, that's our season, you know, in Colorado starts the last Saturday of August. So it kind of rotates across a seven day period over the years to where, yeah, this year we're August 26th. That's early. You know, for a lot of places, that's early. Um, So for me, I'm going to have kind of two things in the back of my mind based on what I see when I get out there. Now, obviously, if you can preseason scout and get a get a feel for where you're going to be, I, I he didn't say where he was going to be, and I, I don't need I don't need a GPS coordinate, but what I'm saying is we don't know if he's going to be hunting high elevation, backcountry type stuff, alpine bowls above timberline, 
or if we're talking about, you know, down southern Colorado or eastern Colorado or, or, or on the front range of Colorado where it's, you know, maybe lower elevation and ponderosa pines, aspen type. We, I don't know the habitat type so that and I don't know what the bull to cow ratio is in his area. However, for me, when I go out there, um, I've got two things in mind. Number one, on an early season hunt like that, and I think it, it especially for the guys that are hunting Utah early, I think their season starts on what the nineteenth or something like that. I don't. I want to say it's like the sixteenth or seventeenth. Oh, is it really? Okay, yeah, so it's pretty stupid. dang early. Well, a lot of the, the, one thing that people need to keep in mind is sometimes when you're when you are um, hunting early like that. Yes, bulls can respond to cow calls. I mean, in a spe- and, and there are times when you'll find bulls that are that are in with those cow calf groups already, and and yes, they absolutely want to respond to cow calls. But you can also run into situations where bulls are not that interested in other cows yet, but or, or cows yet, but they're more interested in actually the other bulls that are around them. They're still trying to figure out their pecking order, and they're trying to trying to figure out how they fit you know, in the landscape. And if they did drop down into this little valley or this little bench or whatever, you know, if there are cows down there, okay, hey, I am interested in that, but are there other bulls around? Do I have to worry about someone? So I always, and and I guess I'll be flat out, right? I mean, I'll admit this way. If there is a criticism for what I've got on Rural Hunting Resources Oak Module is I don't talk about bull vocalizations or, or bugling that much. I, I still talk about it, and, and I can show examples of it, but I I don't have a lot of it. And this year, I'm hoping to to change that. But I do use maybe not bugles per se, but bull vocalizations. And there's all sorts of types of vocalizations that a bull will give. That's you know, yeah, everybody talks about it. I call it a, you know more of a contact bugle, or whether people talk about a locate bugle. Yes, you're going to hear bulls out there doing that. Um, People talk about challenge bugles, or I talk. I use it more of a dominant bugle scenario. But um, when you're early season like that, there's going to be a heck of a lot more curiosity going on rather than aggression per se. And so, bull vocalizations like you know contact bugles. But I also do. I'll put the whines in there, the moans in there. You know what I call a check bugle, where you know like a bull will start. And then he kind of changes his mind. He stops. He hesitates, and then oh, he kind of falls off and, and finishes it. You know, all sorts of these little subtle sounds that bulls will give. A lot of times, that is what I'm going to be using. So when I go on opening weekend, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'll probably start off sending out a bugle, contact bugle, see if I get any responses. Anybody talking around me? If so, great. I'm going to move. If if I do, and I can pinpoint where they are, I'm going to move in. I'm going to get set up. And I typically do. I will usually start off with a cow calling strategy. And for me, most of the time, it's going to be a targeted strategy. So I'm going to really focus on those lost mews, assembly mews, and that type of stuff. If that works, great. If it's a bull that I want to shoot, great. If it's not, I'll let him go. Or if it doesn't work, I, and I need to keep working and working and working him. If it seems like he's responsive to cow calls, but he just is not, you know, fired up too bad and, and wanting to move in. Okay, that's fine. I will probably stay with a cow calling strategy, but I'll either just position or I'll change, you know, maybe an aggressive strategy or, you know, I'll, I'll play around with what cow vocalizations I'm doing. But there are times where it's very clear that you can throw, you, you know, he bugles, you move in, you give him a cow call, he says nothing. You give him a little bit of a, you know, level one contact bugle, just nothing, just 
just fought, and boom, he hits it. Okay, if he's more and more interested in bull vocalizations, well, okay, then that's what I'm going to feed him. I'm going to do the exact same thing. I'm going to locate him, try to fin, try to pinpoint him, move in, get set up. But now, I'm going to use those bull vocalizations to try to sucker him in all the way. Now, the one thing that I, I'm putting this video together now for our guys, uh, for the for the subscribers. You know, there's a lot of subtle chess playing that you can do with some of these these more subtle vocalizations that bulls do. And if you get, de you know, if you start practice with them and play with them, there are, you can literally slip in and get close. There are two schools of thought with um, generally bugling bulls. When we're not talking about challenging them, we're just talking about generally using bull vocalizations. Some people will say, okay, well, just mimic what the bull does. You know, if he bugles a certain way, you bugle a certain way. And if he does it again, you do it again. And if he changes, you change with it. You know, you basically keep right there and you match and, and do what he's doing. The other school of thought, or the other part of that is, is, you know, if, if he bugles and you bugle at him, okay, and, but start counting, like, like as in seconds, look at your watch or whatever. And sorry, okay, one, one thousand, two, one thousand. If he waits 30 seconds, or a minute to respond to you, then you wait uh, 30 seconds or a minute to respond. Basically, again, you're still mimicking what the bull does, but also from a tempo type of, type of deal. If, if he's fired up and, and just going crazy and just stomping on you, okay, well then you can be a little bit more fired up and crazy and stomping on him. But if he's really low-key, then mimic that and, and stay low-key. Well, I completely agree with both of those things, and, and I do that. However... One thing that really, if you're going to be using bull vocalizations early and, and utilizing that strategy, one thing that's always been very, very successful for me is, yes, I will wait uh, the, the amount of time that he, you know, I'll keep the same tempo going and I will kind of mimic what he does. For me, I always want to, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, my tactics, what I do. Most of the time, I will start my engagement with him trying to be just shy of what he is or what, what he is portraying. Again, remember, bulls are, are vocalizing because they're trying to paint a picture. They're, they're trying to relay an idea to other bulls out there. Now, some, like a contact bugle, you're looking for a response, and he's, he's making contact with others. But as they're doing that in other vocalizations, they're trying to, they're trying to size up their – opponent potential opponent vocally before they ever lay eyes on them and so there's a school of thought that okay well you want to you want to be their equal you want to match them toe to toe okay well hold on to that thought a minute and then there's the other school of thought where, no i just want to do a quote-unquote spike bugle i just want to sound like a real weak you know small bull okay the thing is, is sometimes when we sound like a small bull, we can get bulls to respond to us, but they really don't ever want to make a movement towards us. And I could show you that on the elk module repeatedly, bulls responding to a contact bugle, but never making a step in their direction because there is no threat. If you are clearly a lot less or a lot more timid or a lot less unsure, uh, not as confident or whatever, or, or you appear to be that way based on the vocalizations that you're giving, there are times when you get some of the older age class bulls that are like, well, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to go down there to chase off a, a three by three. I'm just not going to do it. 
so that's where it lends its you know lends credibility to the idea of okay well if i match him toe to toe if 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 he beagles this way and i beagle that way and he steps it up and i step it up and he steps it up again and i step it up again well then maybe that's going to lend itself to where you know we're going to fight and, and have that conflict and, and i'm going to challenge him and blah 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 and he knows that he needs to come down and and fight me well that may be the case but like you and I've talked in the past, I mean, you've got lovers and fighters. There's some bulls that just do not want to fight. They're just going to take their cows or they're just going to move off. They, they just don't want the conflict, especially say you've got a, a three-year-old bull or four-year-old bull that just got his butt whipped eight ways from Sunday up the valley. And all of a sudden he comes back down. And now, you know, just like you and I, I mean, who do you want to fight with? Someone who is at least as good as you? You know, that's the thing is, I mean, if, I don't if want to fight with anybody. <laughs> okay. So you're a, you're a lover. So there you go. Well, I, no some, would, some would argue that too, but, um, yeah. So the thing is, is, you know, some of these bulls, if you match them toe to toe, that can kind of be intimidating. And so what I always try to do, but, but by the same token, you still have to relay the idea that you're a serious, I mean, you could be a serious threat. You're somebody that needs to be addressed but um, I might be a little less than. So I always try to come in on my perceived confidence, dominance, uh, aggression, uh, interest, etc. I always try to come in just shy of what the bull is doing. So if he if he bugles one way, I'm going to cut, you know, and anybody that's listening that's a, a, a subscriber, I, I kind of – I bracket things like a level one, level two, level three. It's just a way to, okay, level one, it's very, very passive, very low key. Level two, okay, it steps up that intensity a little bit. And then level three, okay, we're going max intensity. Okay, so when I talk about a level one contact bugle or a level three dominant bugle or whatever, it just kind of brackets how, how intensive are we in that scenario. So if a bull comes at me like a level two, moderate level of intensity, rather than hitting him with a level two, I might come in at a level one and then kind of eh, just kind of creep up and embellish a little bit oh, man, and then step back and kind of sound a little bit more nervous to where I want to kind of meet you, but I'm a little worried about doing that. I want to match you toe to toe, but I'm kind of concerned about it. I'll tell you right now, the, the one thing, the reason why I started doing that is because it, the, if Again, you're never going to make a bull do anything, but you can put in his mind what he ought to do, what's in his best interest. If he thinks there could be another bull in the area that he's going to need to address later on, but he thinks that he's got the upper hand at that moment, he will absolutely freaking take advantage of it. Absolutely. And so this is where, and if you're doing a two, most of everything that I talk about and everything that I do, I hunt solo. I, I don't usually go hunt with folks. Now, this year I'm going to be hunting with uh some relatives and, and some new elk hunters. So I'm going to have a couple guys with me. But most of the time for my personal hunts, I'm by myself, solo. So it's me calling, trying to get the animal in front of my toes. This is where it helps. Now, with a two-person calling setup, this same idea can be seen in the tactic where the hunter's out front, the caller's kind of with him. You start calling, you start calling, you start calling, and then the caller starts to drift back and starts to walk away. And that, as the caller walks away, that bull's like, "Oh, wait a minute! I can, you know, I can slip in and fill that void and kind of sucker in behind him and kind of see him as he's leaving, and it can pull that bull right past the shooter." Same concept. You by if you're doing it solo, 
by coming in just a little bit less than the intensity that that bowl is hitting you with, with just a little bit less confidence, a little bit more uneasiness, you can suggest that you're a little bit more timid than he is, which can oftentimes put in his brain, I need to come down there and and dominate. Finish it. off that dominance. Let's 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 get it. Let's get let's just take care of this right now. Listen, let me go down. Let, let me put him in his place. Let me establish my dominance over him. So now, so I don't have to do it later. So I, I for early seasons, I, I'll tell you, and quite, and this is again, I will fully admit that on my uh, on the elk module, I don't cover using bull vocalizations as much as I probably could, and I'm going to change and, and with work that being on. said, there's a ton on there though. No, no, you, you, absolutely. But like, for instance, when I, I had a place uh, down in Southern Colorado for years that literally, uh, if you pull a, you, there was no point to pulling a cow call out of your pocket uh, come opening weekend. There just, there just wasn't, especially these years where you're starting like August 25th, 26th, 27th, just leave your cow call in your pocket. The biggest bull I've ever killed was down there opening weekend of, it was one of those early years. I bugled him in. Now I didn't challenge him. I bugled him in using this technique, these vocal, just subtle vocalizations, because that's this particular valley. The cows and calves were up on top, and the open grass slopes and the alpine. But the bulls were staging down below in this valley. The first full week of season typically was just nothing but bulls engaging bulls, figuring out their packing order. So you go in there with a cow call, they will just flat ignore you. But you put even the tiniest little squeal. Boom, you're going to get a response. But it wasn't until I started just going, oh, 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 just, the, just the moans and the huffs and the just all the subtle sounds that they make. Oh, my gosh. You can bake their noodle and just get, I mean, just get bulls to come out, at least come out, step in the opening, take a look, evaluate, and then move on. Well, shoot, some of those little openings are only 30 yards wide anyway. Get set up on there, get him to come out, poke out, look, see, no turns, smoke him. So... Yeah, I don't necessarily worry about trying to challenge every bull that I, I engage because a lot of times they're not going to want to engage you that way. But there's a, so much that you can use with bull vocalizations if you just learn to be subtle with it. Again, not trying to ruffle any feathers or try and stir the pot or do anything just in, in, in trying to, to learn and, and have the listeners learn. Do you think a little bit? in education over the years of people talking about challenging bulls and oh yeah I, I don't even carry a cow call I just challenge bulls do you believe that in the early season challenging them more times than not is going to have them go the other way or clam up rather than engaging them but as as a subordinate almost all the time engaging them as you are the subordinate they are dominant you 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 kind of engage with them but then never get to their level do, do you think that there's been some not misinformation but do you think there's misinterpretation that people have said oh yeah go you know challenge them early season and they'll come running because i just don't see that i i yeah i, well I see i see I've got several other questions, but I see, you know, you got to play the cat and mouse game. You got to get pretty close to them. You got to let them bugle and then you close the distance, but then you kind of give them a little weenie sound in and, you know, get them to think, well, I can just run down there and settle this really quick. Whereas I've heard a lot of people say, oh, no, early season, you know, lots of bugles, lots of challenges, you know, just sound for sound, just back and forth. And 
I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying on the fact that it challenge for challenge doesn't usually work early season. Correct. And, and I will give credit where credit is due. I mean, there are a, a, I've heard a couple times where people say, oh, no, I, you know, I'll, I'll get out there and get aggressive right off the bat. Most of the credible um, folks out there that are talking about challenging bulls, most of the credible instructors and, I, and I'll, I'll say Corey, absolutely. I mean, he Corey, Corey's come out and, and repeatedly said, I mean, if he's got two bulls in front of him, he'll take the bull that's more that's more aggressive. He'll go through, I, in my, um, one of the videos I did, I, I, I gave an example of a valley full of 10 bulls. One of them wants to play aggressively. The other nine don't. I have the philosophy that I want to go in and I want to be able to work all 10 bulls. However, those bulls want to be worked. Corey's flat out said, and, and repeatedly that he, he is seeking that one bull. He'll go past those nine bulls, and he'll go to the one bull that wants to play his game that that more aggressive um, tactic and more, a more aggressive bugling. However, you know, Corey, very credible, um, and some others. Most of them are talking about mid to late September. It, it, very few of the credible guys are talking about going out there at the opening weekend and just cranking, because it's very very rare. You know, in August especially, but even, you know, say September 1st, it, it can be very, very rare. And across the broad spectrum of elk and elk habitats and elk seasons, it can be rare to find a bull that really wants to be aggressive that early. Now, absolutely you can. You know, you and I had spoken a little bit before about, you know, just with my summer ob observations this year, I've already seen uh, a group of bulls already what appears to be make that pre-rut move. They've, they've already split up and they're already moving up the mountain heading toward those cow calf groups well if that's the case and you've got a situation like that where things are happening early i talk about that with a rethinking the rut series i give you all sorts of information on on what really triggers a cow to come into estrus and the fact there's only one thing that's going to push it late but there's several things that can actually pull it early and if those things are in play you could technically have a bull that gets in, say, with a group of cows and calves on August 15th, and he's in there for the, the next two weeks. And, I mean, he's got them locked down, and the cows are with him, and they're starting to synchronize. Everything's going well. Okay, that particular bull in that particular situation might might lend itself to be more vulnerable to a more of aggressive bull vocalization, more aggressive challenging kind of, of tactic. However, the vast majority of over-the-counter units – and where, especially where we've got, you know, maybe 10, 15, maybe 20 bulls per 100 cows, where you got low bull to cow ratio. Most of those areas, though, when you're dealing with early season, the aggressive style bugling does not tend to work as effective on the whole, in my opinion, as does the more subtle, you know, kind of chess match type deal that I explained. Now, Again, though, when we start, you know, if we're talking about moving and transitioning into the middle part of the September or, or uh, later part of the September, oh yeah, absolutely, all 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 tools are on the table. But early season, I I think you're right. I think if people stick with more contact bugles, those subtle sounds, I think they're going to get better traction with it. Does your frequency? Okay, you're you're talking about intensity of bugling and aggressiveness and such. Early season when you're hunting high country in Colorado. Are you bugling more or less than say you'd be bugling right during the peak of the rut when they're when they're going nuts? 
Good question. I think if I had be honest with myself, I think I'd probably just take the temperature of what's going on around me regardless of the time of the season. I let the elk kind of dictate what's going on. And so if I if I get a you know opening weekend, I get up into a you know on a ridge or whatever, and I there's a little bowl in front of me and I think there should be something down there, I'll send out a contact view. Level one, just start, start the conversation. But I'll give it a few minutes. I'll let it sit for a while. You know, and, and wait and see if I get a delayed response. It may take several minutes to get a, uh, a response. If I don't get a response, I'll, I'll do it again. Maybe, maybe I'll step up to a level two, or you know, and keep on going up to a level three or whatever. By that time, if I've gotten more of an, you know, where I'm doing a, a, a contact bugle with chuckles and everything else, I'm, I'll move because any real animal that's up there looking for a response, they're not going to stay static forever. They're, they're probably if they're looking for a response and they're seeking, they're probably going to move. So I'm going to move, but. At the time, I'm going to just kind of start off really, really low-key until I get a response. And then based on that response and how fast that response comes, that's that is when I will evaluate how, you know, like you said, my tempo. How, how much do I want to vocalize? How fast do I want to vocalize? And et cetera. But I don't really think that, for me, I don't think that changes, per se, from across um, – across the season. I, I'm going to still do the same thing, even mid to late season. I'm going to send it out there. I'm going to let it sit and I'm going to base my reaction off of what the elk dictate their, their tempo and their mood is. Okay. Um, we've seen it for many years too. the old, you know, you want to sound like early season, you want to sound like the herd and you want to, you know, have cows going, calves going, uh, bulls bugling, and I don't know that that's really the right advice. I've I've heard it over and over and over and over, you know, for probably 20 years that you know you want to yeah 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 and just get all this chaos going. Does that play into you're kind of going to observe a basin? What's going on? It's dead silent. Um, are you? I mean, I think the we've all heard it. You want to sound like a herd, herd mentality to get that one bull to come up and check you out. While I agree with that, don't you think there's a time and a place to kind of ease into that? So maybe a contact bugle level one, like you're talking, and no response, and then so maybe you know a, a, a little bit of cow talk here and there. And then maybe you give it 15 minutes, and then maybe a, you know, a bugle or two. Would you agree that we've kind of been taught that, you know, you just kind of for every 30 minutes you just create this, you know, herd mentality, and I think it screws a lot of people up. Whereas I think if they would, like you're saying, level one contact bugle, see what happens. Okay, maybe throw in a little bit of just, you know, cow calf back and forth and maybe a bull, you know, small little bugle after that and then just wait for a little while. Um, for me, what I hear people doing with their cow call is they try and do way too much and they're going, yeah, 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 with the same mouth call. It just doesn't yeah. sound right. Yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, they, that's where, you know, again, 
how I set things out. Um, what you're talking about is what's been coined as you know building the excitement. I, I remember Jim Horn when Jim Horn was was. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Jim Horn right, G- saying that you know build the excitement. Build, build the ex- excitement. Okay, and it don't get me wrong. I, I mean, it works. It can it can work. And I've got a buddy of mine who has followed along with RHR stuff for years. And he, a couple years ago, he went up and, and he was hunting and ended up palling around with another guy that he just ran into. And this guy did that. He was very aggressive with his, with his cow call on it. And they had a lot of response and, and it was working great. So he called me back. He's like, oh my gosh, this work. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I talk about that. It's more of an aggressive tactic. When you start doing that type of deal, you, you are – Oh, this is a longer conversation, and there's a lot to it in the the understanding cow vocalization series about what your what kind of uh, imagery you're portraying and, and why it's actually happening. I always recommend. I, I never discourage someone from getting aggressive. I just always encourage them to not start there. A lot of guys are, I mean, think about it. I mean, we've waited all year. We, you know, It's 52 weeks out of a year, and we've got one week to elk hunt. I mean, we just dream about it. We we just, we obsess about it. And so when we finally get out there, we're like, we want this to happen now. And so the tendency is to say, well, if I want things to happen fast, then I'm going to do it fast and aggressive, and I'm going to make this happen. Well, okay, you might run into a bull where that works, and that's awesome, and it's epic, and you have a, it's that sexy elk hunt that everybody wants however a lot of times if you start aggressive and that's not what the elk are are into at that moment it's hard if not impossible sometimes to backtrack and tone it down because you've already set the you've already put in their mind something going on up there and if they're not interested in that now you're trying to step back and, and and tone it back they still have that lingering image in their head. So I always recommend, and I think you do the exact same thing is start off, start low, start, you know, either low key, uh, passive, whatever you want to call it, start off light and then allow yourself the ability to build up. If you need to, people ask me all the time, how much I call, you know, with the strategies in action, you know, I've had uh, numerous people. Okay. Well, that was great. Uh, you know, but what would you have done if you were hunting? I would have killed him. You know, I would have just yeah. shot the bull. I what I just showed you is no different than what I do in a hunting scenario because I just put the bull ten yards in front of me. So I only call as much as I need to, as I need to. You know, I, I will call as much as I need to, but never more than I have to, because I always want to leave myself room to adjust if that scenario changes if i start passive it doesn't work and i start to creep up to targeted and i get a response boom okay great but if i need but if i need to stay targeted and that's what they want okay i can stay there and i can bump up to aggressive if i have to but if i don't i can just work them with the level of intensity that they want for as long as it needs to to get that animal in front of me, or at least for me to evaluate if that's an animal that I want to take anyway. So I, I, I agree with you. There was a time there where um, people were talking about build that excitement, build that excitement. But yes, it does work. It's a it's a great tactic. I use it as a last resort. I build up to aggressive when I have to, but understanding that once you go aggressive, sometimes you just it, it, it's either all in or done. It either works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, 
go find another elk or come back another day. You know, let things completely settle down because it's going to be difficult to backtrack once you've committed to that type of strategy. I, I want to say in an effort to try and also answer John's question, and, and we've been talking about, you know, calling elk to us. If you're talking about wanting to kill an elk and sure. wanting to do it pr- pretty efficiently, wouldn't you agree that if you have someone that sounds pretty good on a on a bugle and can make you know contact bugles, what you call Chris contact bugles, and get another bull to respond? If you're hunting with a partner, there you go, and, and yep. you're and you you know giving this guy advice, if he's got someone that can bugle pretty good and get a bull to at least answer him back what i would recommend if you're just trying you know you only got limited time and you're trying to get it done however you can get it done is have someone answering the bull keeping the bull bugling every once in a while while you get the wind right and you keep sneaking 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 into that bull's position and have your buddy you know, kind of judging your progress, even if he can't see you, not, not, you know, bugling at the bull so much that he shuts up, but just enough to keep him vocal and you get the wind right and you just keep slipping in, slipping in, slipping in, using your binoculars, looking in front of you and going fast enough at times, but slow enough at times and waiting for him to bugle, okay, okay, I only need to close in another, uh, you know, 100 yards, you know, you, you get in tight, okay, I'm not exactly sure where he's at, let me wait, okay, my bu- buddy bugles, the bull just fired, okay, I need to close 25 more yards, I should be able to see him, now's the time to be going slow, 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 would you agree that that method, if you're trying to kill, and not necessarily trying to call him to your toes, that can be extremely effective early season? Absolutely, 100%. I don't even need to add anything. Yes. Okay. And don't you think the importance as a stalker in that situation is don't just go storming in there. There's times when you move very, very quickly to cover ground, but there's a time when you start really tiptoeing, you start really nitpicking, you start really trying to – because a lot of times that bull's bedded, that bull's feeding, he's got his head down. Try and spot that bull first ease in be patient let him bugle again and then sometimes when i've done it i move so fast i'm like dang it that bull's 35 yards away and by that time boom he swings his head and he's got you wouldn't you agree that you there's time to move fast and a time to move slow well absolutely and unfortunately you know there's the next question is going to be okay well how close is that well if you're in Oregon rainforest, that might be 30 yards. You I mean you might have to run right to him and get to 30 yards, and then pray that there's an opening when he gets to 15 yards. Okay, I mean it's so so thick and nasty, but it's also can can in some places be very very quiet, where you can slip right in their back pocket. However, you, you know, down in some of the country you're used to, down in that uh, pinion juniper country where it's all rocky and dry and and you might get to within a hundred or 200 or maybe a hundred. I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. You might take two steps and all of a sudden crap, he's a hundred yards away, but now there's a corridor. There just happens to be this little weird little corridor through the trees where he's a hundred yards away. And now he can see you or, you know, like you said, his head's down feeding. Oh, you know, most of us are, you know, five, 
foot to six foot or more, whatever. Our eyes are five to six feet or more above the ground. And so we kind of forget that their eyes might be on the ground feeding. They can look under all that stuff. They're seeing under all that. And all of a sudden they see our feet come running or movement coming running under the tree, you know, under the brush and stuff. It all depends on how the terrain is and, and how close and how, um, I, 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 how thick is a, yeah. You know, just how thick the cover is and, and how loud it is on your approach. But, and, and unfortunately, that's just going to come take experience. But typically for me, I'm exactly, if I've got to move in on an animal, I will, I will haul butt. I mean, I will run. And that was funny, but, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, when I went with one of our friends down in Arizona, I was like, all right, are you ready? He's like, yeah. I'm like, let's go. And I take off running. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, we need to go. He's like, yeah. I'm like, no, we need to run. Let's, he's like, run. I've never run after. I'm like, yeah, you're going to run. Let's go. And we ran. You know, you get to within about 200 yards of where you, that, that that elk is, and that's when I'm going to start really slowing down. And, you know, sure, all of a sudden he bugles, and you can tell by the terrain or you can tell by the vegetation it's it's thick through there. Okay, then I'm going to scramble. If I can scramble without busting him, I'm going to scramble. Close the distance. Get in there. Or or you're monitoring, hey, that, is that bull easing our way? Like, so – so yeah. when your buddy bugles, you need to be stopped and you need to be really listening and you need to be figuring, is that bull stationary or is that bull on the move? And if he's on the move, yeah. where do I need to get for his next, you know, 50, 60 yards? All of a sudden he's going to be in a, a, you know, a shot position where, you know, he's coming right by you. Um, that's where, you know, you don't need to be moving. When your buddy bugles, you better be stopped and you better be listening. And then judging from what the bull does if you think he's in the same spot and you need to keep going, keep going. If you like, dang, that 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 bull's coming closer, then you need to be figuring out where you can be to cut that bull off and get be on the downwind side so that you can use that wind to your advantage, even if you need to advance to his position. Exactly, and 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 I will always say, and also be ready because maybe it's advantageous for you at that point. The bull's been talking. You've slipped in. You've gotten close. He's working, and, and he's interested. At that point, maybe now is when you slip in and, and make your own vocalization because he's like, wait a minute. There's someone right here. I'll take advantage of this. And he, all you need to do is just sucker him left or right or for, you know, just get him that last little bit to commit to get right in front of you. So be ready. But, yeah, absolutely. If you're working a two-person setup, oh, my gosh, yes. Have one person keep that thing talking, slip in there, make it happen. One more scenario you've you've had a lot of experience in in you know high country basins. Um, is there ever a time, say opening morning, or let's say the night before the season, you, you're watching where elk are coming, say out of the timber, you know, um, you know maybe there's a patch of timber and then it's above timberline, and you're kind of trying to get their behavior. You wake up in the morning and you're kind of you know, at a spot where you glass across and boom, they're already there. But listen, they're going or look, they're already going right back in where I saw them the night before. Is there ever a time where you don't actually pursue them uh, that morning, but but sit back and observe? And I'm talking for this early season stuff where they're they're in a pattern. So I'm just actually not even going to pursue them. I'm going to sit here and watch them go back into that timber patch. And this afternoon, I'm actually going to be over in that timber patch if you can get over there with the wind being right. And I think that's an effective strategy for early season, doing a little more observation than, you know, blowing and going and, you know, charging in after them. Your thoughts? 
Absolutely. Always. If, if I'm up in the high country and I've got a chance to sit in glass from a distance and, and get a commanding view of what's going on, I'm always going to sit there and, and watch. And maybe it's going to be a couple days. If they're, especially if they're not very vocal and they spend a lot of time out in the open where it's going to be difficult for, you know, you, they're not vocal anyway, so you, it, calling might be difficult. They're out in the open, so approach might be difficult. At this point now, positioning is key. You know, taking advantage of of when they are vulnerable, and it, that may be when they drop down to get water, or that may be when they drop into their timber. You know, where they go bed, or when they come out of that timber patch from bedding. You know, like you said, depending on what the wind is doing. Um, I always am going to sit and watch and try to get a better game plan. I mean, heck, the the big bull I killed a couple years ago. That's I mean, I was there the night before. We sat and watched glass. The next morning was opening morning. Uh, um, I sat and I just sat on the hill. Uh, the bow was with me, but the, I just sat on the hill and just sat there in glass to figure out where the elk were. And I came back in that evening. Once I figured out this is where the elk are, this is where they should be, this is what they should be doing, this is how they should be coming out. Okay, I'm going to call this way, and boom, it worked. But absolutely, if you're in if you're in the high country and you have the ability to to leave, the, okay. And the other thing too is is whether or not these animals are relaxed. If you're in a basin and all of a sudden you look across there and they're like, crap, there's a tent there and geez oh pete there's a couple of mule deer hunters over there okay mm, maybe you may not have time to sit and and watch them because they may not stay relaxed for very long and they very well may get bumped and moved out so if that's the case if i think there's going to be disturbance in the area i might push it a little quicker than if i get up in a basin and there's no one else there and these animals are, are that have no clue in the world well if that's the case then i'm going to let them be as relaxed as, as long as i need until I get things figured out, and then I'll go in. Go in smart. Don't don't go in like a bull in a china shop. For sure. One last thing I want to add in, I think, a, a, a tactic that can be extremely effective early season is, Chris, I don't, I don't know if you have it on the elk module or not, but you know the vocalization that I'm talking about when you've seen it a bunch of times where you've got you know, four and five point, well, it doesn't really matter how big the bulls are. They make the same sounds. When bulls early season are in that mode of just checking each other out and they're just, you know, kind of, they're not aggressively fighting, but they're ticking antlers and they're making those, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you ever um, used the tactic of having a, a shed antler or a couple big sticks together and being able to make those bull sounds you know, got gotten in pretty close to where you think bulls are and just sitting and doing those, you know, if you can get two shed antlers, small shed antlers that you can carry with you yep. and tick them together and make yep. those sounds, I've seen that yeah. be extremely effective. Extremely effective, especially early season. I plan, I have two uh, five by five sheds that I carry. I'll put them in my truck. I don't necessarily always take them up to camp with me. This year, they're going into camp with me because I think we're in a, in a situation this year where that very well may work. Early season, if you're going to talk about basically you're rattling elk, if you're, if you're talking about just um, even a rattling bag, like a whitetail rattling bag will work if you can mix the vocalizations in with that. I, I think can, that would work yeah. fine. Yeah, and and the, the vocalizations that you're talking about are just wines, and I actually it, that is covered in the um, bull vocalizations segment on wines because I think the best call to mimic that is the Primos Cowgirl. 
it's a bite and any bite and blow call will probably work. And most people know what I'm talking about. Um, it's got that skinny little reed that's covered by the little rubber tube. And it's got some sort of bell on the end of it to kind of amplify the sound where you bite and blow. And then as you release it, you know, yeah, that bite and blow style call the way that, especially the cowgirl, the cowgirl is perfect for it because it's had this really good, unique nasally quality and you can do it hands-free and you can literally take the bell off of the thing and just run the mouthpiece. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. A couple of sheds and, and I do, I like the, you know, you can go with the smaller ones, but again, here, it depends on the bulls that you want. I always, I'm, I, me personally, my preference, my, it's just, it's just me. I like trying to find those five or four year old bulls are better. And so usually if you're dealing with a four year old bull, you're probably dealing with a five point bull of some sort or better. So I take with me a set of decent five point sheds that have, that have good mass. And so there's a, there, it's a deeper tone, you know? So what you're saying uh, is when they're clanking their antlers together, if it's just some, chintzy deer rack it's not going to sound the same as a five point rack or correct and and just like when you hear a bigger bull you know six point seven point you know it's a different sound when they start rubbing antlers together you can i can usually hear it and go those are a couple dinks or i can hear it go this might be a couple decent bulls exactly that's and and the other thing too for anybody out there that's listening that whitetail hunts and that 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 starts thinking oh yeah i know what you're talking about you you mean tinkling your antlers or you know doing a fight okay just scrap the fight idea because there is no way there's you're not going to reproduce the sound of two bulls fighting i'm just going to tell you that right now it ain't happening the amount of sound and commotion that that happens, I don't think a human can physically reproduce it. So what we're talking about is sparring, especially for early season, that early season sparring where you've got two bulls just kind of checking themselves out. And I love it because if I know that their bull went in embedded in a certain spot, sometimes that's all you need to do is you know he's bedded 100 yards in front of you in there you get the wind in your face or everything set just let it settle down and then you just start playing with antlers and just doing those whine and i get great i I literally i provide an example of it in the the bull vocalization series however i also have a gallery video footage of bulls doing it now they were sparring in the winter but same thing exactly same thing so you can hear exactly what those bulls sound like doing it but yeah putting those whines those nasally whines in with those the 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 sound of those antlers clanging together man it can absolutely be good but generally speaking you're right it's best for early season yeah i mean i it it works best in early season and it's really deadly in early season A, a, a guy i know in southern colorado you know when i used to hunt with him he would do that he would always carry elk antler and and um he was deadly with that i mean he would call he we we would try and sneak in pretty close and you know if we could see some elk or knew where some elk were bedded and you could get in you know say a hundred yards and you do that i mean it is almost i don't want to say every time but it it, they dang sure are going to come check it out well and the the other thing too that people need to keep in mind that you don't expect them to vocalize no i mean they'll come in silent yeah they they will not make a peep yeah, they'll just come sneaking in, and I mean, literally, you need to sit there and watch, and again, keep your eyes down low, because I've seen repeated times where elk come in, and they put their nose right almost on the ground, and they are physically, purposefully looking under the branches. 
they're looking they're under that clear zone under the branches from about knee high and below they're putting their face down there and they're looking because they want to see the feet they want to see things move so they're gonna a lot of them are gonna come sneaking in but if you know that ahead of time set up with a doorway you know again we can talk about dory principle all that stuff but set up where you can cover his approach or especially the downwind side make sure you have an avenue where you can see and you can shoot on the downwind side if that bull starts to kind of swing around you've got an opportunity but yeah it's a, it, it can be an awesome tactic early early season you mentioned the doorway principle and we've covered a lot of ground um give me in a minute say a minute synopsis of your doorway principle even if it's a teaser for people <laughs> to go and find um you know come come on the row hunting resources the doorway principle and your interpretation and and of of how that works in my mind is the absolute biggest groundbreaking thing in all of my elk education and trying to learn learning your doorway principle and how those elk use that doorway is in my mind the most important thing of anybody that's going to try and call an elk well they the if I was just to make it gloss over it real quick, it's just basically where's where that bull going to stand where he should be able to see the calling occurring from. Now that's not that in itself. I mean, people talk about that all the time. That in itself is nothing major. I mean, everybody's like, Oh, okay. We're, he should be able to see the calling. Okay. Well, yes. What I talk about is, okay, how do, how do we identify those things? And I'm going to actually, that is one thing that people have asked me repeatedly to cover in more depth. And I'm hopefully this next week, I'm going to get some video footage to help, um, to really kind of showcase it. But the thing is, is the, the problem is, is, and I think what, what you're referring to as far as kind of changing the way you think, I always talk about flipping it around. We always put the elk first, or excuse me, we always put ourselves first and then, and then the elk. So we're, we, where do we need to set up? How close can we get? Blah, 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 blah. And then we look across there and like, all right, where's the bull going to be? Well, the problem is, is we don't, stop and first think of the elk and where the elk is going to come, where the elk is traveling, what his perception is from what he's hearing, what he's expecting as he's hearing it. You know, again, you're calling or whatever scenario you're, you're portraying is going to put a, a, a set imagery in that bull's mind. And when he shows up, he is going to expect that imagery to play out in front of him. And there are places on the landscape where he's naturally going to stop and he's going to look and he feels that he should see that. Those are the doorways. If you set up within the within range of that, or at least have the ability to cover those, the 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 key for me is you don't have to stop the bull. You know, a lot of people say, you know, especially with a two person calling setup, you know, the bull's responding to the caller, and the caller's the bull is coming in, and he's moving past the shooter. And a lot of times you'll see you'll hear the shooter, you know, have to say something or do something, or you know, you'll some guys will try to take a shot on a bull as he's walking past, and and that can work or or fail miserably, but. A lot of times, you know, you're, you're trying to stop that bull so you can get a shot. Well, all sorts of problems can happen if you have to try to stop that bull. Now he stops. He's looking in your direction. He's, you know, a lot of times, especially. Alert. Yeah, he's alert. and he's Boom. You can watch him coil. You know, boom. What the heck? And, and so as soon as you release it, again, we're talking bow hunting most of the time here. As soon as you release, depending on the distance, I mean, that bull can react and spin and, and I mean, it, it can cause some problems. However, if you identify the doorway and you embrace that concept, 
most of the time, 99% of the time, I'll, I'll put I'll put it as a 99% of the time, that bull's going to automatically come in and he is going to pause and stop on his own with no clue in what's going on. All that he, all that he knows he's coming in, I need to see he's going to stop, relaxed, oblivious that you're even there. And if you're within range of it, I mean, you can zip him without him even having a clue that an arrow's been sent on its way. I think you're just scratching the surface there of what you really go into on the elk module. And again, you you know you you also have the you know they want to see you first, hear you second, and smell you third. Once you are able to grasp your concept of the doorway and you know see here and smell, yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah. it takes people's elk hunting level of of you know proficiency or efficiency i mean it just goes through the roof i know with me once i it never even dawned on me and once i caught that so i encourage people to check uh chris out at row hunting resources check out the elk module but i i want to be clear here that this is a super expensive <laughs> this is this is really going to break the bank to go and get 25 hours of video footage on Row Hunting Resources Elk module. Chris, how much does it cost? <laughs> well, we ch- we changed it this it's still we still offer a quarter, you know, like 3 month deal or a, a, an annual deal. Um but since everybody liked the annual free elk, we just it's 25 bucks for the for the 3 months or it's 50 bucks roughly for the for the full year access, so so it's thousands of dollars. What'd you say it is? Twenty five yeah. or fifty bucks? Yeah, I mean, I can raise it for you if you want. If Golly, you want. <laughs> I mean, it, it it never since ceases to amaze me of how valuable of information you can learn and how you know reasonable of a rate that you charge, Chris, for row hunting resources. And I want to encourage. And again, I have zero zero. Uh, involvement in Chris's company I don't get any money he's my friend um, and I, I'm a follower and I've been a follower and subscriber for many years so um, I see the value in it and I encourage the listeners out there to uh, go check out more of Chris's stuff Chris where can they find you uh, just rowhuntingresources.com it's R-O-E huntingresources.com is the website and then just if you want to sign up just you know there's a little tab at the top to sign up and, and you can click it and it walks you through it's pretty easy and it's instant access basically what it is it's an online library of information so once you subscribe you have a, essentially a pass a library card that allows you in and you can see and do whatever you want in there and every time i do if if i come up with a new video or anything i just load it and and it's there for you there's no upgrades there's no it just once you subscribe you have full access to it and i just constantly keep adding stuff to the library and and you can go in and check it out and and learn as much as you want from it and there's a forum in there as well um and then if people want to follow on social media i mean it's just row hunting resources it's you know facebook instagram our youtube channel same thing we've got some other stuff on our youtube channel uh, a little bit of a diversity there so yeah there's there's all sorts of stuff in there that folks can you know look at but it is there's there's a lot of information in there take it step by step i'm putting together a little syllabus and kind of a little um like short course 
type idea for some folks that, you know, say you sign up late and, you know, like for instance, for folks that are getting ready to go for Utah and you're like, holy smokes, I, you know, I want to subscribe. Okay. Well, you may not have time over this next week to go through all 25 hours. Where, okay. So what are the highlights? What can we do? Well, I've got some videos in the beginning, you know, about getting started of, you know, if you're a beginner, if you're a season caller or whatever here, check these videos out first, start there, get a handle of them and then expand from there. So there's a bunch of stuff in there for folks, but um, yeah, I mean, we try to keep, and that's the other thing too, is I try to keep it very similar to the cost of say a magazine subscription or uh, I mean, a heck of a pack of broadheads anymore is going to cost you 50 bucks. You know, I want it affordable for everybody. And it always has been, that's the other thing. We, we didn't make a change on this. This is, I mean, we've always, this is the price structure we've always had. We've always, want to keep it reasonable so that way even kids you know teenagers or whatever you know it's not like you got a bunch of money out there if you want to learn something well shoot sign up for three months you'll have it you know and especially if you sign up now you've got it before season during season and then even postseason so now you can prep go out there hunt experience and then you can even come back and then reevaluate what you saw out in the field with the stuff that you see in the elk module and, and compare notes and learn that way too so well i i just want to say i think it's it's super undervalued in the fact that it, you should be charging 10 times the amount that you're charging. I want to encourage people to check it out. It is an amazing resource. I've used it for a long time. And um, there, I, I will say there is no more comprehensive uh, resource out there for getting to hear all the different sounds and see the sounds. So you're, you're, you're seeing the elk make the sounds on the videos. And then you have all of Chris's commentary. Um, you know, you have the little pop-ups on the screen and such that are telling you, Hey, that's an assembly mew. Hey, that's, he goes through, Hey, here's a, a, a targeted strategy. Here's an aggressive, you know, he's got all the different strategies and then your strategies in action where you're actually going through call in scenarios where, you know, you're saying, you're talking one of the things i really like is you're talking to the camera you say okay you hear that bull in the distance we are going to use this strategy and you go through all your different strategy we're going to pick this one out and this is the one that i'm going to use to try and call in that bull and then you interact with the camera the whole time and you're whispering to the camera a lot and then you're calling the elk's calling i mean it's it's just a great resource so um, thanks for doing all of what you do. Thanks for spending time here with us on the podcast. And uh, I, I hope John, uh, uh, the, the the listener that wrote in wanting to get some early season, you know, tactics and strategies that you, that you would use, get some value out of this. And um, just want to thank all the listeners out there for their support of this podcast. And um, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue to have guests such as Chris that bring great value to this uh, podcast and going to continue to learn. And I'm just grateful for the support that that uh, I get from all the listeners um, that are so, so, so loyal. It's just um, it's uh, very humbling. Are you are you going to are you going to keep the uh, promo code from him this time? Are you, are you going to hog that one for yourself? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that it should be a, you know, a thousand dollars to sign up. Um, you, yeah. you have a promo code that gives them a discount, do you not? Yeah, I do. I was gonna say, yeah, a J Scott listener gets a penalty, and uh, it's a, it's a twenty percent surcharge. Twenty <laughs> percent no. discount. If what, what is it, J Scott podcast? 
yeah yeah just it's you know if, if you're a new subscriber if you're if you're new to it or whatever and you want to subscribe yeah just it, it'll ask you towards when you start going through um it's towards the end and it'll ask you like a promo code just j scott podcast all one word and it'll knock 20 percent off for you fantastic man well sounds no, I, good that's the thing is i mean i i don't i don't, I don't want people thinking you know, i I truly enjoy your friendship, and, and I've learned a heck of a lot from you, especially on some of the different, you know, when we were down in Arizona and, and what you showed me down there and some of your tactics and techniques and different habitats. It's, it's very eye-opening. That's why I do enjoy being on this podcast with you because I, 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 you're one of the few people that get it, you know, and, and I appreciate that. So I, I will do this as long as uh, as long as the Lord lets me and as long as, as you want me on here, I, I'm willing to jump on and share as much as i can so no i i I enjoy it and people need to remember too you know you kind of glossed over the fact that you last year are you know that real elk sound series that we did a lot of that footage was your footage that you know that you incorporated into that stuff so it was it was phenomenal so it's a great resource and, and you've definitely contributed so i appreciate your help immensely right on buddy sounds good um god bless and um yeah, can't wait to dive into the elk module and see some of the new stuff that you've got. So uh, right until we talk next time, yeah, God bless, and I'll uh, catch you later, okay? All right, be safe. All right, buddy. Bye.